He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Three, two, one. Oh. Ow. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Hair and loathing. Big off. Oh, my gosh. Kia ora and welcome back to Hair and Loathing with me, Charlotte Cook. I could go on forever about all our furry bits, but sadly, this is my last episode. I've included a range of women with different experiences through the podcast, but I would love to hear your experiences, even gents if you're listening. So if you'd like to pop me an email or send me your thoughts, you can reach me at hairandloathing at rnz.co.nz. Throughout this series, we've talked about the history of body hair, how it impacts sex, and how medical conditions affect or increase body hair. And in my case, as a Pākehā woman, the westernised ideal of hairlessness has been the standard I've tried so hard to meet. Slowly, people and brands have started to challenge what is seen as normal, but we still have a long way to go. So in this final episode, I want to look at some of the other factors that inform whether women choose to remove or keep their body hair. So I got off my hairy butt and went out to find some other women to tell me how their ethnicities, cultures, upbringings and religions impacted their decisions around body hair. Kia ora tātou, ko te aitanga maha ki te iwi, ko ana hau. My name is Anna McAllister and I'm an artist and a writer. And an Instagram influencer. And if you're curious, you can find her on Instagram at nope, thank you very much. I've seen a bit of work around wahine Māori and decolonising their body and periods. I asked Ana if there was similar mahi around body hair. I'm not sure if it's so specific to body hair, but it's definitely something that's happening in regards to beauty standards. And that sort of wraps into a whole lot of different things like fat bodies, disabled bodies, bodies that work differently, bodies that don't maybe fit into Western ideas of gender. So those are all things that are actively being worked through in Tao Māori, trying to remove those colonial lenses. And I think that beauty standards is definitely a big one. I think that body hair falls into that. I remember going through this book. I think it was a Wahine Maumoko book, so it was about Mokokowai, and it had all these paintings of these old kuia and their um, mokokoa, and one of them was the most beautiful, beautiful nanny, and she had a mean moustache and goatee. And I was like, far out, you know, that that just wasn't a thing that was ever taken issue with. It seems like such an outlandish concept when you grow up in the society that we live in today where even just having, like, a slightly visible moustache is incredibly embarrassing and like the butt of jokes. So to then start to think about the idea that that wasn't even a consideration before colonisation. There's little research into body hair in Te Ao Māori, but Ana says it relates, like most things, to the patriarchy. When I think of the whakapapa of, of shaming someone for body hair, it really relates to the patriarchy and trying to make women look a certain way. You know, body hair is seen as this masculine thing and there's like layers of wanting a woman to look as young as possible and prepubescent and all of these things that clearly have 
a whakapapa that links back to colonisation, back to patriarchy, back to Western ideals. We didn't have anything like that in our culture before colonisation came here. So beauty standards are inherently colonised. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a version of a wahine Māori that is acceptable to general society, but that's a very specific version of how we look. The term that we use for it is uh, the dusky maiden trope, which also relates across the Pacific region, is this idea of this like really exotic and virgin-like, but also very sexual, in like a hula skirt or a pew-pew or like completely naked, lying by the water like a siren. That's a very specific feminine, virgin-like way that they want Māori women to represent themselves. So then flipping that on its head and disrupting that by doing these things that they would consider gross or unfeminine or not sexually attractive is a way to disrupt that whole system of how we've been represented for 251 years, you know, ever since... Cook came here, uh, they've painted us that way, they've spoken about us that way, they've advertised this region that way. You know, the Pacific was advertised for years of this place where not only could the captain find a beautiful woman to lay with, but also could the guy who cleaned the ship. We were actively advertised and our sexuality was actively advertised. Like many women now, Anna is pushing back on what history has told her to be. She describes herself as a hairy wahine by European standards, but realistically because her eyebrows are the only bits she removes. To be honest, a lot of it came out of laziness. <laughs> it's just so much maintenance. Eh? It's just a lot for me to do in the shower, and I'm a fat person, so it's like a lot of bending down in weird positions. But also a large part of it was... I used to date this guy who really hated body hair. So even when I was like emotionally ready to not have to shave my body hair, like he would really push back at that. But it made me take a little bit longer to get there to a point where I was like, I don't really care what the f- you think. You don't have to stand there in the shower for 30 minutes trying to reach these legs. It's a lot easier now that I'm not with someone who's like, oh, your armpits are gross. How did what you had seen reflected in the media advertising or what your whānau had told you about body hair, how did that change your interpretation of how you felt about it? I definitely think that, you know, as a young female identifying person, growing up you're bombarded with all of these images of what the perfect woman looks like. And when I started to reject that in other forms that weren't things that I could change, so I can shave my legs, that's not that big of a deal. I can't really change the fact that I'm fat. (laughs) I can't really change the fact that I'm a person of colour. So when I started trying to accept those things, that I was not this perfect thing that's shown in the media of what a woman is meant to be, it became a lot easier to reject other things. For Anna, having body hair has kind of been normalised to a degree. People like me end up being in this kind of echo chamber 
And I'm like, oh, my God, do people still shave their armpits? Like, I didn't even realise that was a thing. I remember when I was in art school, I was the only femme person there who shaved their legs, and I was like, this is embarrassing of me. <laughs> Look at me conforming to the patriarchy. So there are definitely circles in society where it's completely been changed in relation to body hair. You got reverse peer pressures. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, keep up, come on. Oh my goodness. Get in the car, we're going to decolonize. She's also out there disrupting the idea that body hair isn't sexy. Anyone is sexy. Sexy is all about being confident in who you are. I date lots of people who love my body hair. For someone to not love you just because there are hair follicles growing out of you which are meant to be there. Like, it's, it's, when you break it down like that, it's so stupid. Colonisation has had an impact on beauty standards. But I was also curious if religion changed women's relationships with body hair. Before now, I've never really considered what God you choose to believe in would have a say about how you maintain your lady bits. I sat down with one of the most media-friendly women I know. You'll have heard her talk about everything from feminism to the Christchurch mosque attacks. But it's the first time this member of the New Zealand Order of Merit and the founder of the Islamic Women's Council has spoken about body hair. I've, I've tried waxing my legs and stuff, but I can't deal with the ingrown hairs. Honestly. So much maintenance, and I'm like, ugh. This is not how I want to spend my life. Anjum Rahman moved to New Zealand when she was five years old. When I first asked her if she wanted to be a part of the series, I was nervous to ask. I didn't want to make her feel uncomfortable. But to be honest, I was very surprised with her answer. For Muslims, there's two types of body hair that we're required to remove, and that's your pubic hair and your underarm hair, and there's no gender bias in that, that is the same for whether it's men or women. They have to remove those two types of hair, which is interesting because men here, generally, they don't remove their underarm hair. (laughs) It's like, well, well, okay. (laughs) It's definitely for hygiene reasons. You can either shave it with the pubic hair or you can cut it short. So I was talking to a friend yesterday and she was saying in Malaysia, they're like, as long as you can't wrap it around your finger, <laughs> then, that's, then that's fine. Like, it has to be short. That's the measurement. Like, that's the official I, No, no. <laughs> I, that, may, that is likely to be a cultural measurement from Malaysia. <laughs> I just know that it should be reasonably short. With the hair removal and fingernail cutting, once every 40 days is the longest you should go without doing that. It wasn't about how you look, it's about that you keep clean. And because, you know, women wear hijab and we cover, so the only person that's going to see that part of your body is the person that you're going to get married to after you got married to them. So for anyone else, it's not a, you know, doesn't matter. There are a couple more rules about body hair. The only requirement is to not pluck eyebrows. And even that is contested, so there are differing views on that. So that's, for some people, it's an absolute no-no religiously. For other people, it's not. Other than that, yeah, 
if you have facial hair and you want to remove it. You've got free reign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything else is in the realm of what you want to do. So underarm hair, pubic hair, must. Eyebrows, some people say absolutely not. Everything else is culture, personal practices, personal preferences. And I mean, I have chin here, so. <laughs> but I, I do. All? I do. I guess worse as you get older, I tell you. <laughs> well, I'm, that's kind of concerning for me and my chin here. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, it would be really great to get to a stage where you could just have them and it didn't matter, you know. That yeah. would be lovely. Like Anjum, I'm not ready to give up plucking my whiskers, and I can't see myself ignoring other parts of my face, which are badly in need of attention. Let's do eyebrows. Should we do some, some beauty. Have you had threading done before? Yes. Threading is a simple technique where a string of cotton is rolled along the skin to pull out those stray hairs. Okay, so you know what's involved. Mm-hmm. You know that it might hurt a little. Regina Bratoiva is a Muslim beautician from Eastern Europe, but grew up in Singapore. As Anjum told us, there are two hairy areas Muslim people must remove, and that removal starts young. Regina says she had her first wax before the age of 12. I have a lot of mothers who bring their daughters to me even at the age of eight and nine. Yeah? Depending on how quickly they've begun to develop, you know? And I know that there is a lot of hue and cry about that, saying that that's like a child torture and, you know, having to do a wax at the age of nine. But, you know, now the process is really very sophisticated and the level of discomfort is very minor. This is because there is a common understanding that if you wax early, mm-hmm. then they will, you will destroy the follicle right. and it will not grow. So mothers consider to be doing favors to their daughters, you know. Mm-hmm. They started them early, you see. So this is the culture, and there is no taboo about it. Women talk about it. Uh, as I said to you, they will get a waxer, and she will come to the house, and she will routinely come with uh, her daughters, and her daughters will help. Hmm. It's an often, it's a very common way of doing business. Regina has a wide range of clients who visit her at her southeast Auckland salon. I see everyone from Arab to Iranians. I have a lot of Indian clients. I have a lot of Pakistani clients, Fijian Indian. I have uh, clients from the African community. So these are Somalis, from Ghana, from uh, Nigeria. So uh, they come from many different places. But also South Auckland is uh, really the cradle of the... Uh, South Asian community. They obviously come from different religions. We have Hindu, Sikh, Christian, non-religious, etc. And then we, I also have a lot of clients uh, who are Eastern European. Some of these ethnic groups are presumed as being more hairy by nature. But instead, Regina thinks they're just the ones fighting it harder than everyone else. I think that those are the warriors, the most uh, determined to, to fight body hair. This is a misconception in regards to ethnic communities having to deal with more body hair. I have seen very evenly distributed hair situation amongst all communities. She says most of her clients opt for total removal, but many of the reasons are cultural, historical or religious. But there are others who aren't allowed to whip it off. You have to understand, like, for example, there are religions that completely forbid the removal of hair. 
One example is Sikh traditions, which teach the body, here included, is a gift from God, and to leave it untrimmed shows respect for God's creation. It's always a struggle for me because I do have a lot of clients who traditionally, according to their religion, a woman or a man for that matter, should not remove any part of their body hair at all, or even cut their hair. And so the more conservative ones would not do that. So I can imagine it's very challenging when uh, the standard of beauty is really towards not having any hair on your face or body for one to be, you know, having it. I mean, I've never loved being hairy. You might remember Marva Inuka from episode two. She's a journalist with Persian heritage and is dedicated to removing her body hair. But I also am not the hairiest person I know, which I think made it easier for me. My One of my best friends, there weren't a lot of Iranians, but one of my best friends growing up in Nelson was this little Iranian girl. And she was so hairy that in the childhood photos of us you can see she would have we would have been about five maybe younger four and her legs are covered in hair as a four-year-old so and you know her brother had her brother's back was so hairy it would kind of come into a little curl in the back and gather into an actual curl so and so there were like cute little mammals that you could like pet so I while I was hairy by Pākehā standards and when I compared myself to the, especially the girls around me, even the boys, was nothing compared to these Iranian friends that I had and so I never felt like I was the hairiest but I was always particularly self-conscious about my back. So um, I have what I now affectionately call down fur and it's like this sort of soft fuzz that kind of lines my back. And again, it never super bothered me. I remember that I was always sort of aware of it, but my tactic was always to be like, I'm Iranian. Like, I yeah. I used it. It was novel enough. People didn't really know what that meant, but they just accepted it. They were like, oh, yeah, she's, a, she's Iranian, obviously. That means something. I used to use that a lot. I remember my hairdresser once was, like, I had quite a short haircut, and he was kind of, like, trimming the right back, and they've got to, like, kind of shave it. And he's like, you're just like a little baby penguin down there. <laughs> Do you ever think about just embracing your body hair? I don't grapple with that in the sense that it doesn't cause me a lot of emotional strife. There are times where like if I leave my legs and they get really hairy or like like oh my hands get quite hairy, like you know, the old gorilla hands. Um, I get the knuckles. I get the knuckles, yeah. My knuckles. My toes also are especially here, and the hair grows so long. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. It's amazing. It is a really hard thing. Like, we, we're, you never, ever, ever see a photo in a magazine of a woman with any hair on her. You know, and the thing is, we've diversified lots of things in in fashion, which is good. Like body sizes are beginning to diversify. We've seen, you know, diversity of race and ethnicities, heights, but you still don't see hairy women. Well, you see maybe like a cute underarm. Oh yeah, so tidy. But no one sees a snail trail. No, hairy posts are not reflected in the media. No, no, absolutely. Marva has always removed her hair. And it's all about management. The problem with being hairy and trying to upkeep it is that when you don't upkeep it for a little while, it's more obvious. Yeah. People notice things growing that have like not been there before. Yeah. 
it's a constant stress. Yeah. How many days can I leave without plucking my eyebrows? How many days can I leave without like derma planning? How many days? I do my own derma planning. Oh wow! I actually order scalpels from eBay, like surgical scalpels, a pack of ten, because that's all it is. Yeah. They call it derma. It's just shaving your face. But with, like, for some reason, a scalpel. I don't like know. Like a what. close shave. It's like a very close shave. And so I do it for a couple of reasons. It gets rid of the, the fuzz, or in my case, like the hair. But also, it really is an incredible exfoliant. She has a range of hair removal techniques in her arsenal. I will not shave. Shaving is just a no-go to with people, as far as I think, with really dark hair and light skin, because you just get terrible, stubbly regrowth. So I'm always waxing. I have like a special um, Russian waxist, and they use a sugaring technique, and it's the best. Yeah, talk me through the sugaring technique, because that's quite traditional. Yes, I do everything kind of traditionally. I get my eyebrows threaded, and I get sugaring done for my legs and bikini, and I wax my own underarms. I leave the down fur on my back, let her be. She's just keep, keeps me warm. Penguin. The baby penguin stays. It's quite an intimate process, though. Like, it's the person really like holds a whole kind of handful of like glue, essentially, and kind of rubs it on your body. And if you're getting a bikini wax or like a Brazilian, you can see like rubs it on your skin, and then like rips it back. And so they're touching you all over the place in a really kind of intimate way. And Brazilians are already intimate, but even more so. Body hair is something that we know gets a visceral reaction from lots of people. It's polarising, it makes people feel uncomfortable, but it's not really something we can choose to grow or not. It's just there. We only have the option to remove it. So left with only that option, where does Marva sit? So now I'm in a place where, like, I don't want to be super hairy but I'm not ashamed that I have to maintain a non-hairiness. So it's like I accept that I'm hairy, but I'm also, my acceptance doesn't extend to letting myself, like, just be hairy. But I've got past a place where I'm ashamed of it. Like, I was chatting about it downstairs with my colleagues before. I'm like, I'm going to go have a chat about being hairy. And my colleague, who's a man and love him dearly, said, do you really want to do that? And I was like, why would I not? Like, I just am hairy. Like, I, there's nothing I can... Not talking about it doesn't change the fact that I'm... No. And also, it's not like a... It's not going to affect my personal brand. Like, I, you know, it just is who I am. I told body positive queen Anna about the shame and guilt I have about not being a better body hair warrior. I think that a lot of that is, is pressure we put on ourselves. And it's a bit different to me because I will first get judged for the size of my body. People wouldn't really be looking at my hairy legs because they'd be looking at my fat poku. Um, but I think that it's also about understanding that it's okay to not be 100% there. You know, it's okay to still be on your journey and it's okay to have that initial, like, oh, in your poku of, like, whakama and shame and dealing with all that. And still don't, blame yourself for that because it's all a journey like there are definitely still parts of my body here where I'm like oh I don't want anyone to see that you know so no one's perfect in their journey it's so important to look at your body in the mirror and be grateful for it or touch your body in a way that is loving or speak about your body when you're talking to other people in a way that is respecting it we often as women will 
continuously put ourselves down when we would never treat anyone else in our whānau like that. So I like to think, love your body like you love your nana's body. Give as much respect to yourself as you give to those other women. It's taken me six weeks to make this series, and during that time I've let my body hair do its own thing. There's been days where I've felt horrendous when I look in the mirror, and days where I've been proud to show it off, and I've had some of the best conversations of my life. I hope that this podcast encourages more people to talk about it openly, and then girls can feel better about themselves. We're not going to be as hairy as all the cats we're going to have because we won't ever have any relationships where people love us because of our body hair. I do have the advantage. I've been with my husband for 13 years and so I don't feel like I need to depilate every inch of my body to be attractive. I would wait for the bus to go to school in the mornings and yeah, the boys on the school bus used to shout out gorilla legs. I popped a blood vessel in my eye. I was oh. so upset. But I'm like, why should I get so upset about a hair that grows on my body? Like, Is it possible to, to get to a place where we don't see hairlessness directly correlated to femininity? I don't know whether it would ever happen in practice. It's a normal thing. We're not the only ones, obviously. There's lots of people. And it's just getting through that, not feeling that shame. My friends are supportive, and men have still found me attractive. Only one has been scared off by my armpits. Being so honest has given me a power I haven't felt before. I think I'll call it acceptance. And hopefully this will help you find that too. For those of you who don't grapple with your body hair, at least you'll know what it's like on the other side. That's all for this series. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at hairandloathing at rnz.co.nz. This is a Tahi podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you usually get them. Alternatively, head to the RNZ podcast and series page. Hair and Loathing is made by me, Charlotte Cook. The executive producer is Sonia Yee, and William Saunders is the sound engineer. Kakite. Ka